0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Those
1: of you, those of you who took your, took the chance with the weather to come here. The, um, so, uh, some of you know, I started a series uh, this January on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And and so for the Monday evenings I'm here, I'm gonna go through the progressive teaching on these Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And this is the kind of the, often considered to be the foundational teachings on mindfulness taught by the Buddha, from which springs all the many forms of mindfulness practice that uh, comes out of Buddhism and even some of the secular mindfulness uh te- teachings that are taught now in the West uh, some of them will also trace themselves back to this text and how much it actually comes from this text is you know a little up for grabs but uh, still the text is considered to be foundational and um and that uh, I think of the text as providing a journey uh uh, a journey uh, uh, with awareness to the current state that we're in, to liberation. And it offers uh, 13 or so, 13 exercises in cultivating a heightened sense of awareness. And that. Um, um, and so last time I was here, I talked about the first of these so called exercises, which has to do with mindfulness of breathing. And then uh, at the end of that uh, section of the text, they have there's a, a ref, what's called a refrain, and it's the same paragraph that's repeated after each of those 13 mindfulness exercises. And, um, and I would like to talk first about the refrain, and then for those of you maybe who weren't here before, we'll go back a little bit and review the first exercise and then move on from there and talk about two more of them. And as an introduction, or further introduction to this, what I'm going to say today, there is, uh, in some uh, spiritual circle, uh, circles, um, uh, an instruction that uh, some teachers will give that takes the form of a dialogue that goes something like this. Um, someone comes to a teacher and says that, uh, I'm searching, I'm searching for the truth, I'm Searching to for liberation, I'm searching for spiritual something, and the teacher will say, uh, "What you're uh, searching for is in the seeking. What you're searching for is in your seeking, and that's a kind of a peculiar answer. But it, what it does is it takes the attention and turns around 180 degrees." To look at you know, you know the nature of what you're doing. You're searching and looking, and I think of it a little bit like uh, someone who has glasses, like me, thinking that um, I don't know where my glasses are, and I go around looking for them, and then I, someone says, "What are you doing?" I'm looking for my glasses, and they say, "What's right on your nose?" Somehow I've forgotten that they're there, and and so I'm looking through the glasses but what I was looking for is right there kind of in the seeing itself. So to say it a different way, in the, the, uh, what you're looking for is in the looking. And so this kind of turning around. So this uh, relates a little bit to this mindfulness practice because what we're kind of doing is developing our attention, our capacity for awareness to be strong enough that we can almost turn it around and it can see itself. And as it sees itself, um, what, uh, in order to, for that to happen, awareness can no longer be preoccupied by what it's seeing. If, uh, if you're searching for something, always looking elsewhere for it, and so busy looking, you're not going to see the nature of the looking, nature of the seeing, so, you have to somehow become free of the preoccupation, the concern, the attachments to the things that we're usually concerned about, uh, so that we can allow the attention to turn around, turn away from what we're concerned with, and look at the nature of concern itself, for example. So, if we're upset about something, it's for, in mindfulness practice, we turn it around and look at the nature of the upset, not what we're upset about. If we want something, we turn around and look at the nature of the wanting, not looking at you know what is we want. So this kind of turning around to take a deep look, and uh, the way that that's worded in this text is, uh, I think, at least my interpretation, in the opening it says putting aside um, uh, uh, desire and distress about the world. So you kind of put something aside, the concern with what's in the world, you put aside so you can do this amazing process of really being present for your experience of how we are in the world as opposed to concerned with the world itself. And uh, to some degree, and you know, you have to always take these kinds of, a lot of teachers uh, kind of with a grain of salt and kind of understand that it's contextual what they're saying and rather than universalizing their teaching is supposed to apply everywhere, but uh, and, uh, kind of related to this idea of encouraging people to turn around and not always be looking in the world for solutions, and um, sometimes teachers will talk about um, uh, trying to adjust the world so it just works perfect for you is like rearranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. So you know, it, I'm sure it's going to look good as you go down, but it's not going to keep you from going down. And so, so the idea of don't don't be so concerned with the world, at least when you're doing this practice. Other times we should be concerned. There's things to be concerned about. But if you want to do this uh, t- uh, transformative, liberating movement, we turn around. So the refrain uh, talks about what the mindfulness practice is aiming to, to do for us. As we do the practice of mindfulness, the mindfulness practice, we're developing this capacity for awareness to so that it has certain characteristics. And so the aim, where we're going in this practice, is described in the refrain. And the f- refrain can be interpreted as providing a journey, a four-part journey, that uh, shows four different phases of the deepening of this uh, of awareness, this ability to be turn around and be here, really be here. So the the the, the searching mind, the wanting mind. <laughs> the preoccupied mind is turned around and it feels kind of powerfully present. And in Buddhism we say awake in the sense that there's, the awareness is palpable, is visceral, is almost somatic in just being here. So there's a four-step journey and I think maybe what might work is to uh, go through that journey backwards. So you see where the goal is, the end end, the end, where the end is, and then see kind of as we go backwards kind of how, what precedes it that leads to the end and back like that. So it's four parts in this refrain. Um, and it says, so, that, uh, the, um, so the end result is one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Remember this thing about the world and turning around and not being caught up in the world? This is actually, uh, as long as we're clinging, attached to things in the world, there is no freedom. And this is not a rejection of the world, but it's a bringing to the end this movement of holding, clinging, resisting, wanting, that can be so uh, perpetual in some minds. And then uh, abiding independent, no longer depend, and the. It's maybe not quite right to translate that as, into English as independent, because that works really well in the United States, where independence is so important. Uh, and, but the, the, the literal Pali word, m- meaning the original language, is dwelling not dependent on anything. And the distinction is that some people, when they hear the idea of being independent, uh, they think that they're just free to do whatever they want. Not dependent has a little different connotations. It means that our, we're not basing our life in dependency on what other people will do for us, what we get from other people. We're not de- our happiness is not dependent on uh, finances, status, looks, uh, recreational opportunities, all the kind of things people are looking for in order to be happy. It's not dependent on anything. And this idea of finding a sense of freedom and a happiness that can dwell within that uh, is not, uh, doesn't require anything to be there. We're not, I mean, we're not searching for something out there that's going to be the magic trick that's going to do it for us. And many people are spending a lot of time rearranging deck chairs in that Titanic just so they get everything just right and then they'll be happy. And then the particular deck chair, particular boat they're on, you know, begins to go down and sometimes they just jump ship to another one until that one goes down and, you know, and a lot of some people are just kind of moving around between all these things that are slowly disappearing and going and thinking they can be ahead of it. So, but to, be, to abide not dependent, to abide not um, requiring anything is a powerful state to be in. And this this uh, movement in Buddhism has towards liberation, to freedom, to awakening, is in fact a very powerful, significant transformation of how we live in the world and how we relate to the world. And so relating to the world, not dependent on anything, our happiness not requiring anything, happiness is not requiring the outer world to comply to all my desires and things. That's the direction. And free, so And then freedom from clinging, not clinging to anything in the world. Uh, Repeatedly in these ancient texts, the Buddha refers to liberation as liberation from non-clinging, not holding on, not tight. And I, I kind of like to think of it almost like clinging as going around with a fist. And a fist, you know, is, you know, I guess, you know, it's useful for some things. So you don't want to be you know, too critical of a fist. But if you walk around with a fist that, you know, people think that you're going to use it for what it looks like, you, people be people give you a wide berth. You know, it's not, not... And after a while it gets tired and it's hard. And then we justify having a fist and we think we have to kind of organize the world around our fists to make everything work for our fist. And it's kind of limited, right? But, uh, but uh, when we can release the clinging, it's kind of like releasing the fist the fist of the heart, the fist of the mind. And the amazing thing that can happen when the fist opens, when the ha- when the, first of all, the fist, doesn't e- the fist doesn't exist when the hand is open, right? <laughs> what happens to the fist? It's one of those wonderful things that only exists when it's being done. But what happens when the fist opens? The soft spot of the hand becomes exposed. The tender part, the part that's really sensitive right in the middle, and so the idea that if we can release the fists of the heart the clingings of the mind there's this heightened sensitivity that's available to the world and it's not uncommon for people to associate that with compassion but it can be many things that's there and and that that sensitivity that we have heightened sensitivity that we're capable of is kept in check is kept hidden or kept you know tucked away when we go around always clinging so that so it's non-clinging. Not depending on anything and not clinging to anything in the world. So how do we get there? If that's the goal, how do we get there? And so the, the step before that is um, described this way. There is mind, uh, one has mindfulness that there is a body and this mindfulness is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. It's a little bit paraphrasing here. Um, uh, Mindfulness, that there is a body, is simply established to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. As uh, this mindfulness practice develops and gets stronger, uh, and we no longer are caught up and preoccupied by the world around us, our experience of uh, begins to purify itself or simplify itself because even if we 're really here and not concerned out there it 's so co- easy to be caught up in commentary and ideas and stories stories of myself and who I am and my worth and what I need to do and that i 'm right and i 'm wrong and uh, and you know we 're doing mindfulness of the body here, so we 're paying attention to the body, developing mindfulness of the body. And you know my body is too big, too big, too small, and too much. This you know all these issues in my body, and I feel lousy about my body. I hope no one's looking at me. I hope everyone's looking at me. <laughs> and you know it's all this stuff that goes on, right? It's complicated. And to, and for all these complications, the stories and the commentary and the judgments and the, they get simpler and simpler, and they f- can fall away, so that what we're left with is a very simple awareness. Awareness that's simple here in the present moment. It's not in the past, it's not in the future. It's not assigning meaning to anything. And it's valuable because it feels really good to have all those different kinds of contractions, clingings, uh, relax and settle. To have attention become so simple that when you feel your body, just recognize this is a body. Not a good body, not a bad body, not a you know just a body. It's just it's allowed to be as it is. And uh, and mindfulness is established, awareness is established, just enough. I love this expression, just to the extent necessary for uh, bare knowledge and mindfulness. And the word bare, I love this word bare. Um, this is the, uh, the usual understanding of this is that the bear means awareness without stories. Awareness without the filter of concepts, bef- of ideas that we have. Very, very simple awareness right here. Now that's a difficult place to come to because we're so often so wedded to our stories, our commentary, our judgments, our interpretations, our concepts of how things are. And so it's, it's not easy to get there. But to really do this in a in a dedicated, deep way and develop the awareness, turning it around, let everything else kind of settle down and quiet down, and come to this place of stability and tremendous clarity, where we just see things very simply as it actually is, it is a phenomenal state, and that is and that that state is what is the precursor from being able to abide. Uh, not depending on anything and not clinging to anything. So the the preceding step is this very simple awareness, very simple presence that is no longer for and against anything, no longer making stories. It's just there with our direct experience. And that allows something to let go. That allows us to discover this place of non-dependence. So how do we get there, to that place? And that's what's described just before that. It's a little bit. It's a little bit uh, uh, more uh, earlier or more uh, phase or a little coarser state of mind. There's more awareness. Awareness is more active, more engaged. It sees more. And um, here it says, one observes in the body phenomena arising. One observes in the body. Phenomena passing away. One observes in the body, phenomena arising and phenomena passing away. It's a very particular way in which this ancient literature talks about seeing impermanence, seeing the changing nature of phenomena. And in order to in uh, here, what we're looking for, what we're seeing, is uh, is the general characteristics, general uh, character of all phenomena that happens in the body, all the sensations, all the feelings, all the emotions, anything that can be considered a bodily experience is seen as something that's fleeting and transitory and and constant and coming and going. That can't be seen that way uh, when we're seeing the world through our concepts, through our ideas, through our searching for something out there and we see it and we project onto it. Uh, and there 's a tremendous amount of projection that human minds do on their experience, and part of that projection is to put a label on it, a concept on it that this is how it is and the nature of concepts is concepts kind of like platonic like Plato had these concepts um, they 're kind of like permanent Plato thought concepts were permanent, and now uh, there 's something about a concept that it kind of has the you know it it's doesn't the concept well, it doesn 't exist right it 's just like i don 't know just you know, just some idea in the mind, right? But, um, you know, if I have the idea of a bell and then I have, you know, an idea of what a bell is and the the image of the bell doesn't necessarily change so much. It's just the bell. But when you look at your body uh, and we stop making these uh, concepts and ideas and overlay on them and really can be in the direct experience of really what's going on in the body, the visceral, the the alive, the dynamic, the... Uh, experience of just being embodied—it's it fl- changing and flowing. It's like you don't have to do qigong. You just kind of—you know—you you know, you you don't get the, you get the energy going. The energy is flowing and moving. and Things are changing. And there's no resistance. There's no bottled up, bottling up. There's no contraction, coagulation. There's no, um, there's no um, uh, uh, hardening of the whole experience of having a body, it's all fluid and flowing. Because that's the nature of the body if it wasn't for these concepts, which gets things kind of stuck. And um, so to be able to uh, see things arising and passing and coming and going is a pretty high level of mindfulness that requires the quieting down, the settling of all these concepts and ideas that we have. So we can see something directly And then as we see things arise and pass, uh, the remarkable thing that can happen there is that we realize that there's nothing here for me to be clinging to. There's nothing here for me to do and make happen. There's nothing here that I have to do except surf on this, be with it, just become the flow of all this stuff. And this seeing arising and passing and learning to step back more and not cling then allow, moves into this, the phase I just talked about where uh, just knowledge, the simplicity of just bare knowledge and mindfulness, just there with experience in a very simple way. And, and to rest in that kind of equanimity and peace and non-reactivity, non-clinging, not wanting anything, it just rests there, is what helps the mind discover this final stage of non-dependence and not clinging to anything in the world. So how do we get to, to observe the arising and passing of phenomena? Well, that's the stage before that, in the four-part four four, four part stage. And that is, here it describes, uh, um, one abides contemplating the body as a body internally, and one abides contemplating the body as a body externally, or one abides contemplating body as a body both internally and externally. No one knows what this means, really. <clears throat> and um, so, but there's plenty of interpretations, and um, and uh, so I'll give you a, a little bit of interpretation based on my experience of going through some of this process, and that is that um, as we settle in, we start becoming um, mindful and aware of our experience, wherever it's occurring, whether it comes from an out, uh, external stimulus, there's a sound, or the wind blows against our cheek, or there's a smell or something, uh, we're aware of the experience, the actual sensory experience of that as it's happening. So the external world, as it impinges on our senses, and we're aware internally what goes on in the body, all the sensations, all the nerves that are that are stimulated there as different things go on. And so that we start cultivating this awareness that can sit back and observe, the language is observed, to see. And I I, I love the idea of observing because for me observing is is associated with kind of laying against a nice tree on a nice day and just observing, watching what goes on, watching the show go by, rather than studying or probing. It's just like just observe and watch what happens. So it's cultivating ability to start watching everything that's happening at the, in all the different sense doors, just learning how to be there present in a very simple way as things begin occurring, as they occur in the present moment in direct experience. So we'd cultivate the ability to be observing what's happening in the present moment in the experiences of our body, sensations of our body, in the senses, and we're observing it coming back, coming back, doing it again and again, and the mind settles down, and as it does that, does that more and more, we see that what we're observing is just phenomena that's transitory and changing. As we observe, observe it, it's constantly changing. Uh, something begins to relax and release, and stop. You know, we don't fight, we don't try to make anything anymore, make up anything, project anything, and then we just allow things to be just very simple. We're very present, experiencing just what it is. We allow things to be, but there's no overlays of stories and ideas and wanting and not wanting and trying to fix and do something. Just bare knowledge and mindfulness, just enough. And that being so settled and bare and settled and not trying to do anything and being relaxed and peaceful with that allows something to let go into a place where we know that we're not clinging to anything in the world. So this four-step pre- four process describes this journey. And uh, you'll find in these ancient texts repeatedly so many ways the uh, path of practice is described as a journey because it unfolds over time. Uh, and so the deepening that goes on. So, so what precedes this is the exercise on mindfulness of breathing, the first exercise of this text, which we, I talked about I think, two weeks ago. And... Um, and here it says that one uh, goes to a forest or an empty hut, sits down, crosses one's legs and sits upright and establishes mindfulness. And then becomes mindfully aware that they're breathing. And uh, when first just becomes aware of the qualities, the characteristics of one's breathing, and one starts tuning in to the experience of breathing. Many different religious traditions emphasize the role of mindfulness of breathing. Uh, it's a wonderful place, to, way to calm down, just hanging up with your breath. It's a wonderful way to begin disengaging from all our busyness of the world and and, um, and, and let go of some of the stress and just come back and be here with experience, just be here. The mind wanders off and we come back and to the breathing. The mind wanders off and we come back. And this idea of coming back and starting over and over again slowly begins to soften the momentum of our preoccupations, concerns of the day, the stresses of the day, and they settle down. Things relax. As they relax, then uh, at some point, when we're no longer caught up in the world and the concerns and everything so much, and we're able to be with our breathing more, it's uh, relatively common for people to become more aware of their body. It's just, oh, here I am, you know. I, didn't, I hardly knew I had a body. I was just running around so much. And we start sort of noticing I'm here in a body. And it's not uncommon for people who are busy when they kind of start settling down and relaxing in meditation to realize how much stress they carry in their body, the tensions they carry in their shoulders and their belly and their face and their eyes and all these different places. And uh, that's not a mistake to see that. That's actually part of the unfolding and the deepening, to see that. And so the instructions are when you see that, First it says, the first instructions are, see that. So relax, stay with your breathing, stay with the breathing. And as you continue with your breathing and you start feeling what's going on in the body and you feel the tensions and stuff in the body, get to know it. Feel it, know it, experience it. After you've gotten to know it well, it's very nice this idea of just experience it. So many of us are fixers. If there's a problem, we're going to fix it tension is bad i'm going to you know figure out some way to get rid of it and stop it and we get busy might be sitting meditating happily for you know the duration of four minutes and uh and then start noticing you're kind of tense something has to happen so you move around you get up you do some yoga you sit down no hasn't gotten away and Three minutes later, you're sitting there just as tense as shoulders. And so, what's the solution, right? Probably a solution is to get in your car and go to a massage parlor and and get a massage. And then come back and meditate when you're in better shape. (laughs) You know, in two years or something. Um, So we want to fix things and make things better. And if I can't do it, then I'm upset with myself and meditation's not working. Part of what we're trying to do, learning in meditation, is to learn to be with discomfort and be relaxed about it. To be, just be with it and not fight it or fix it and do everything. So seeing the discomforts of the body, the tensions we hold, it's a powerful teaching, it's a powerful lesson to learn how to be present for it without it needing to go away. Not depending on anything, including not depending on our discomfort going away or And just to be there for a little while. Then the Buddha's instructions are, the the final piece of this uh, exercise is as you continue with this breathing exercise, being with the breath, being with the breath, and you have noticed the tensions of your body, and you've learned how to be with it without being too reactive to it, then the Buddha says, relax it, relax, soften the body, let it relax. So this, this st- process of tuning into the breath, being with the breath, strengthens awareness, awareness of the present moment. As we, awareness of the present moment deepens, we become aware of what's going on in our body, the impact of how we live our lives to a big degree. And, and uh, then we train ourselves to be aware and present for something that's uncomfortable. And it helps us to keep breathing, breathe through it. But breathing is kind of like the ballast that keeps us from getting too reactive and keeps us relaxed and And just feel what's going on. Be with it. And then after you've been it for, for a while, if it feels like the right time and it's easy enough, soften, relax uh, uh, the tensions of the body. And maybe you can't do much at first, but you can do a little bit. And then maybe some minutes later or some days later, you, something more happens. And some of it you can do yourself, some of it some of it is just done to you. As you sit this amazing process that as you stay present and feel and connect to yourself and really make room for you to experience yourself, things begin to relax themselves. I think of the process of mindfulness as a process of giving breathing room to your experience. You give lots of room to it. And then it can unfold and you know, it's like taking the lid off the jack in the box. So you take the lid off, all the tight, way we hold our tensions and stuff, and it'll let go. It'll slowly relax over time. When I first started meditating, I uh, chronically held my stomach really tight. And um, so uh, one of the things I did in meditation was, maybe a couple of times, not much more than that, um, each time I meditated, I would try relaxing it, beginning, maybe halfway through. It took me actually a few maybe probably 2 years before my stomach would stay relaxed. But that was really worthwhile. That was a 2 years well spent. But I didn't make it like a, you know I didn't like the all the whole period of meditation just like focus on relaxing that belly. I'm going to really relax it. You know get it all tense relaxing it. I just periodically kind of checked in and relaxed, checked in and relaxed. So this process of staying with the breath, feeling the body, relaxing the body, begins to heighten our sense of present moment awareness. We, we are training ourselves not to be distracted, but to be here. We're training ourselves to uh, feel what's here, and you, if you feel and experience your body, you're present, and there's present moment awareness. And relaxing, as we relax more and more, a relaxing kind of releases the certain kind of energy of awareness kind of makes energy awareness more easy to be. It's, the more relaxed we are, the more the capacities for sensing and feeling come alive. The more tense we are, the more clo- uh, sensing, being aware, closes down, goes numb. So this feeling of aliveness comes, awareness feels alive, and it starts feeling more satisfying <clears throat> to be present, to be here, to be aware here than it is to go back into being preoccupied, back into thinking about the future, the past, what I have to fix, what I have to do, all these things. And that's a fantastic kind of tipping point to come to in meditation that we come to periodically and have to come back to again. It isn't like you don't stay there. But you come to this place, you're settled enough, peaceful enough that you really feel, you can see clearly, why would I why would I agitate my mind when I've gotten so calm? Why would I pick something up? Why would I pick up the hot coal when I don't have to? Why would I Why would I start thinking about tomorrow and all this, what's going on? And Because this feels so good to be here, present, peaceful, all that. And so it feels more and more like home to be here and present. And that allows us to begin observing what's happening here, internally, externally, all the senses and things. And as we observe it, we observe that things are constantly changing, flowing and moving. And as we see that it's constantly flowing and moving, we kind of simplify our relationship to it all. Just let it be, let it be. And awareness, mindfulness, knowledge, and then understanding of what's happening becomes very simple. Because experience becomes kind of simple. And that ability to be very simple, equanimous, peaceful about what is there, it it can seem very simple-minded because so little is going on there. You're not solving problems of quantum physics. You know, you're not figuring out your taxes and you're not figuring out the best date for a Saturday night. You're just there in a simple, very satisfying, happy, peaceful way. And, it's, and, and when that can be experienced, satisfied, contented, happy, peaceful, f- here, then at some point the mind releases, the heart opens up, the fist opens up, and we experience what it's like to be alive, to be breathing, to be alert, to be attentive to the, without depending on anything, not requiring anything to be any different, not clinging to anything in the world. So here we're describing a process, right? Do you see that? So, so each of the exercises, this 13 exercises, are the way that's setting it up on the way to start this four-part process that's described in the refrain that leads to liberation. And, um, and so this is uh, the next piece of this text. And so we'll go, th- we'll go through uh, more of these exercises as we go along, and then we'll touch into this refrain quite briefly because they're at the end of each one. And uh, so all these exercises are exercises which are bri- uh, the purpose is to set in motion this journey that's described in the refrain. Their purpose is to heighten our awareness of the present moment experience so that our present moment awareness can begin doing this work of unfolding in this journey to liberation. And so some of these exercises have to do with the body and it's through the vehicle of embodied awareness that we start this process. Uh, another exercise is about uh, uh, doing it through what's called feelings. We'll talk about in some weeks. Another ex- exercise has to do with uh, mind states, fascinating topic, and uh, and then the last one has to do with beginning to. Uh, it's five exercises having to do with understanding the uh, mental processes that operate in our minds that either lead us to bondage or lead us to freedom. And um, so these are, in some total, there's 13 different exercises that lead to the cultivation, the deepening of this awareness that um, I'd like to suggest is a little bit similar to um, what you're searching for is in the seeking. What you're seeking is in the searching. Turn around and see what's here and find your peace there and what you're looking for is there. So hopefully that makes some sense. And if it didn't make sense to some of you who are new to all this, um, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe you'll have beginner's luck. And um, So we have uh, five minutes before the nine o'clock closing time. So maybe there's time for one or two questions about this. Uh, anybody like to ask something or make a comment or give a testimonial about how this something like this has worked for them and how they recognize it? Thank there should be that.
0: it on? Yeah. Okay. So where I get stuck with this a little bit is in the process of trying to learn something. Um, This makes so much sense and has given me just enormous benefit in my life for decades. Um, But again, where I get stuck is if I'm trying to master something or learn something and I'm struggling with it and it seems like there's some benefit in the clinging
1: yes um, as long as it's beneficial to cling keep doing it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it it also causes some suffering
1: and um, oh, so, so so then at some point you have to decide what the balance is is it m- more beneficial or or more harmful and, and then you can then and then you can decide which way to go
0: okay so that's striving can have benefit yes at times
1: at times, but you know if you are um, <clears throat> you know if uh, a f- friend of yours has made you a delicious meal, they spent days making this meal for your birthday or something, and that you show up and you're sp- wow you know they're, they're, and um but you're really clinging to um, to Winning the California lottery, you know, and and you're like checking lottery numbers and doing equations and calculations, and you're you know you're eating you know you're eating the food they made, but you're actually doing all your calculations for what kind of numbers to choose, and you don't hardly notice you're eating. Um, So you know that's the wrong time to be clinging to lottery numbers. You should be let go of that and be with your friend's (coughs) meal that they made. So that was a silly way of saying that uh, striving, certain clingings, maybe it's useful in some settings, but not in other settings. And so hopefully you know how to put them down when they're not useful. But if you think it's useful to cling and you're better off because of it, who might have say not, that you shouldn't cling? Go ahead. It's
0: probably useful and painful and I probably need to work more with the balance or so yes, something
1: so, and so what happened one of the benefits of mindfulness is that we start seeing the cost of the clinging more and more yeah. and then at some point the, the cost benefit analysis doesn't come out in favor of clinging <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. so you want to be careful with mindfulness because you might not get the information you want um, uh, you know you get, you get all the ouches ouch mm-hmm. Whereas the clinging had a lot of hope to it. And the hope was, ah. But after a while, the, you know, hope is kind of like, you know, imaginary. So, so sometimes though you see, well, but there's more ouch here than there is, you know, hope. So, you know, so maybe it's not worth it. Maybe there's something, maybe there's another way. And then when I teach, when I teach the kids programs, uh, I'll, in order to teach them about the value of not clinging, I show them. I hold a bell in my hand like this. I grasp it really tight. I'm clinging, right? But you can still you can still hold the bell. You don't have to throw it away or not have a bell, but you don't have to cling to it. And look what happens when you don't cling to it. So that cling uh, when you uh, the thing you're clinging to. It's not necessarily a thing that's a problem. And not all things we cling to need to be abandoned. It's the clinging we drop.
0: Thank you. So I, I just got that I think partly what I'm asking about is how much it has to do with right effort.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a life... Th- you, and you said you've been benefiting from this for a long time, right? Figuring out right, lef- right effort goes on forever. You'll never get the right effort, <laughs> finally right, because then it, it'll shift. So part of the, it's like a surfer, right? Someone's surfing, finally I knew, you know, now I know how to ride the wave. I don't have to do anything but just be still. You're constantly adjusting, right? So the right effort in meditation, and mindfulness is constantly changing, adjusting, and, and after a while it's kind of fun. Well, I hope this was uh, useful for you. gave you some maybe inspiration about this practice and maybe it helps this text, uh, which can be very dry, maybe come a little more alive and and maybe see how it's more relevant. And as we go through these different exercises, I hope that uh, it shows you a little bit or teaches you or uh, highlights for you ways that you could uh, cultivate and develop a heightened sense of awareness and why you might want to do that, why it would be useful for you. So um, in the meantime, breathe, feel, and relax. Thank you.